Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. We have a very special guest today, Rick Scorzetti, self-proclaimed hardest working person in the room. And it so happens that he's also the chief commercial officer for Jumo Health. Rick, glad to have you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, we <laughs> we should caveat that the hardest working guy in the room is it's not necessarily something uh, I'm proud of, per se. It was really more out of survival. Um if you're not if you're not the strongest, fastest, smartest guy in the room, you better you better be the hustler in the group. So it's uh, it was it was purely a survival trait. Rick, I, I want to ask um, as it relates to that. So how did you get into sales? Because sales is definitely could be considered kind of an athletic type of role. Right? It really requires a lot of perseverance. So you know why why sales for you? My stepdad was in sales and I saw, well, I saw how hard he worked, but I also saw how much he loved it. And I wasn't sure which industry I wanted to get into. Uh, I wasn't sure where my passions lied, um, but I knew that I did want to be in a sales capacity in some way, shape or form. So why why life sciences or healthcare? Was there some particular reason that um, you know was it a former family member or friend? And you know what what drew you to uh, you know healthcare industry? Yeah, it was it was somewhat accidental. So when when I when I got out of school, um, my first job was at an advertising agency, and it was because a friend of mine had gotten a job there prior to uh, prior to me graduating, and he and he got me the interview. And another friend had been working in the pharmaceutical industry in the logistics side of the business or on the logistics side of the business. And I didn't know a whole lot about pharmaceuticals. What I did know um, could fit in into a thimble, really. But I did know that pharmaceutical sales reps were polished. They were well-trained. They earned good livings. They had company cars. And they seemed to be... Uh, perceived anyway as sort of the the premier sales folks um, in 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 the industry, so that piqued my interest a bit. And it just so happened that uh, again, a friend of mine who worked in pharmaceuticals, uh, there was an opening at his company, and he he got me an interview in the logistics department, and that's when I set my sight on my sights on getting into sales, um, and that's how it started. So did you know so that, that so did you know that eventually you were gonna get into more of the, the digital aspect of pharma when you first joined the industry? Uh, no idea, honestly. Um, you know, again, what what I knew about life sciences at that time and more specifically about sales was that they were polished, well trained, they made a good living, and they had a company car, right? That was essentially the extent of my knowledge. But as I got into pharmaceutical sales and I started to learn more about the business and the industry, um, the first opportunity that I had to work on the pharma services side of the business was um, with Hippocrates. And that was um, that was a leap of faith that, frankly, a lot of my family and, and friends thought I was crazy. At the time, my my wife was nine months pregnant with my firstborn child, my son. Uh, she was eight months pregnant when that opportunity came about. 
And I was working for Pfizer, which was a household name. Uh, again, company car, earning a good living. And um, the opportunity to join a, a small startup healthcare technology company came along. I was familiar with Hippocrates because I had, and now I'm going to date myself, uh, I had the Hippocrates app, which by the way, we didn't call them apps back then, um, on my Palm Pilot. And I used to use it as part of my pre-call planning before I would go in and talk to a physician. I would look at my competitor's drugs um, and I would look at the information and I would look at our drugs and I would see if there was any sort of competitive advantages that I was going to talk with the physician about. So I was familiar with the software um, and I, I dove headfirst. I didn't even fully understand what it was, uh, what pharma services was. I didn't realize that the pharmaceutical industry would be the clientele, but um, I, I went in with, with somewhat reckless abandon. And again, my family and friends thought I was crazy. And it, it turned out to be the single best decision I, I made in my entire career. When you think back prior to that, right, um, in terms of what drove you, right, um, was there a particular challenge in your life you had to overcome that kind of prepared you to get into sales or even to actually take, you know, pursue this opportunity and know with confidence you're going to be successful? You know, <laughs> one of the uh, the gentlemen who hired me at Hippocrates, who I, I still to this day consider one of the most influential professional influences that in my career, uh, my, my mentor, Joe Klein, um, he, he once said that one of the reasons he thought that, that I had success in my professional career was because I was, I was paranoid, basically the, the, the fear of failure. So when you say I knew I would be successful, I think it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so afraid to fail that when I go all in, I give every, every ounce of, of what I have. Um, and, and that, that to me is probably one of the traits that has lent itself to, to the successes that I have. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to experience in my, my professional career. So I'm speaking you... to Joe, um, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. Oh, no, go ahead. Speaking of Joe, I mean, what did you learn most from Joe? Because I know you, he mentored you, you worked with him multiple times, but what do you think the most important thing he gave you in terms of just, you know, just advice, uh, mentoring, development? It's, it's hard to, I mean, we could talk all day. I mean, essentially, if you were to look at the way that I approach operating the the team that I oversee now, it's essentially his playbook. Um, so he his fingerprints are all over everything from the way that I approach the personnel in my department to the way that I handle some of the processes that we, employ to the way that we look at the business through the lens of the market opportunity to how we do even even things as as simple and and tactical as account planning really stems from the the, the lessons that I learned from Joe 20 years ago 
Um, so he has been a, a very instrumental leader uh, and mentor in in my entire career. And and nowadays, you know, Joe and I don't work directly together, but but we certainly talk uh, pretty frequently. And and I still pick his brain all the time. I also lean on my current CEO uh, Kevin Anaskovich, my current CFO Ray Altieri. I mean, those are two other mentors that I tap into multiple times a day. And they've taught me a tremendous amount about not only uh, business, but also a life, right? And how you can draw upon those lessons and apply life lessons to, to, to business. Going back to what you asked earlier, though, Mike, with respect to, I don't think there's any one particular challenge that has helped to define success in, in, in a professional sense. I think it's more about the lessons, <clears throat> excuse me, that failure teaches you. And <clears throat> there's a great, and those those who know me know that I love uh, inspirational quotes, right? So there's a great quote. Um, Every failure brings with it the seed of an equivalent or even greater success. And part of that is you have to get through that challenge in order to grow and evolve and prepare yourself for what comes next. Um, we had, and I'm thinking about a very specific example. We had a we had a conversation as part of a governance call with a customer this week, and um, it was a working session. And we were we were it was a two way street. We were giving feedback, and one of the things that we talked about was um, just the business operations and, and things that needed to change on on both parties' parts. While we don't necessarily love having those conversations all of the time, they are absolutely valuable. And frankly, they're necessary for us to grow. If we don't know where the challenges lie, if we don't know where the deficiencies are in the business, there's no way that we can extract insight and learnings. And there's no way that we can then then we can evolve as, as a business and address those challenges um, and manage towards success. So I think it's all... And you know the old adage, right? You learn more from your failures than you do your successes. I think everything, whether it be personal failures, I mean, divorce, I've gone through bankruptcy. I mean, you can name them, right? I mean, I, I could write a book on all the times that I've fallen on my face. All of those things have helped to prepare and really in, instill in me the ability to handle the challenges that come with with business in a way that you extract those learnings and apply them to to to, to move forward. So as you think about growing and scaling the business, um, you you referenced the team earlier. What do you look out for um, as far as you know uh, individual contributors that join your organization? What are some key things that you look out for, whether it be tangible, intangible? Uh, or the amalgamation both. So another cheesy quote, right? A attitude, right? Your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your ap your altitude. That's a Zig Ziglar quote. But <laughs> attitude is is big for me. Um, I'm not one that that is easily impressed with Ivy League pedigree, and that's probably because I don't. <laughs> I don't have the degree on my list. <laughs> uh, 
grit, hard work, going back to how you open the call, you know, tenacity. These are the things that are more important in my book. I, I guess I shouldn't say more important, but without them, the, the, the fancy pedigree doesn't mean all that much. So what we look for is, do people have the right attitude? Are they, do they have a winning attitude? Do they, are they tenacious? Are they willing to go to all extremes to win? But not at the cost of doing what is right. And so for those who are listening, who don't know anything about Jumo Health, we're, we're in the medical communications business, but what we specialize in is creating educational resources for clinical trial participants and their families. So, you know, we've had the benefit of building a, a very successful uh, high growth company. And that's all well and good. At the end of the day, we're helping people who are going through what is arguably the worst time in, in their entire life. And if you can't feel good about that, at the end of the day, when you lay your head on the pillow, it, this is probably not not the place for you. Uh, not probably. This definitely is not the place for you. So it can't just be about winning. It can't just be about all those attributes that we look for in winners and people who want to who want to do great work. It has to be about uh, the altruistic piece of it as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Frankly, um, altruism is really important. And, um, you know, I think that's uh, one of the most critical factors for great leadership. Honestly, it's like not being self-serving, but doing things for others. And I think that's uh, something you just stated. It, uh, it, to me, that's really important as a leader, as one of the key traits. So appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And it, it's, you you have to, I, and I think either this has probably been worn out as well, right? Great leaders are are selfless. But if you are doing the next right thing, if you are thinking about doing what is right by your customers, for us, a lot, it goes back to the end users of our products, which again, are the patients and their families. If you're doing right by the people on your, your teams, for me, it's the people in my commercial operations organization or any of the other employees in the company. Ultimately, the, the you know, the the karma comes back to you in some way, shape or form. Um, and that's really how we want people to be thinking about how they approach their day to day uh, at Jumo Health. We, we don't want folks who are only interested in themselves. And one of the things, uh, Stephen, back to your initial question, our mantra for the commercial operations organization is farther, faster together. And when you think about traditional sales organizations, usually you think, oh, well, their salespeople are kind of right. They're, they're, they're lone wolves. They're out on an Island. Maybe they're selfish. They only care about, you know, hitting their sales numbers and those sorts of things. We have built a really different team and a really different culture. And it's been a very purposeful build. From the start, from the day that I got here, we created a team that was built on the backbone of teamwork. Um, I'll give you a specific example. We employ something called the buddy system, which not everybody embraces at first. Meaning if you have a customer and it's um, one of uh, the larger customers in, in the world, 
you're likely to have a buddy that you work with as a salesperson on that customer account. That That isn't the norm, right? Um, and that may take some getting used to, but again, farther, faster together. The old adage, right? Two heads are better than one. And we have found that that is a far more productive model than just arming an ar you know 10 individual contributors to go out and run in in opposite directions and as you scale and grow as an organization your company culture is going to have to evolve also um yeah. so as you add more headcount and that culture is evolving how do you manage that it's i i wish i could say it was easy it's not um when I got here four and a half and we've grown very fast, we've, we've grown rapidly in short order. So when I got here four and a half years ago, the commercial team was um, four, uh, four people. Uh, I think I was five. So, and, and today we, we are close to 40 people in the commercial operations organization. So it, it's, it's tenfold we've grown just in that organization alone. Um, the company overall has grown just as rapidly. So it is a difficult task. Um, and you couple that with the, the, the fact that we've lost the physical proximity with COVID. And th th those COVID years happen to be some of our best years, by the way, in terms of our, our the health of the business and the growth of the business. It's something that you have to actively manage and pay attention to. And I'd be lying if I said we do it well all the time. We don't. Uh, and there, But there's ways in which we are looking at doing it better um, and, and embracing the, the failures. Once again, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier on, learning from when we skin our knees, that's okay. What what did we learn, and then how do we get up, and and how can that help us run faster? At that different inflection point from when you spoke about a few years ago, when you were much smaller, and where you are today. I mean, what's changed in terms of your leadership? You know, how you approach it, right? What have you gained by going through this transition point? And if you're doing it over again, what would you have done differently? It's a great question. Um, I think for, for me, the, the biggest transition piece in that has been going from a doer to a teacher of doers. So if, you, if you're an organization and, and you're five people, right, you're doing all the work yourself. And, and that, that's scalable to a point. And then it's not right. Then you then you hit certain choke points and, and you're no longer able to scale because you those are rate limiting factors. So. That has been very difficult, not only to try to replicate what I know and replicate some of the, the skills and experience that I have, uh, but also that replicate some of the skills and experience of the valuable team members. So, so how do we continue to, to pass that on and scale exponentially in terms of not only, again, personnel, because that's not always, it's not always about how many people can you hire. Uh, 
right now it's really more about what, what, how much more can we extract from the business that we've built with the people that we have? It's a constant learning, a constant evolutionary cycle. Literally on a daily basis, we're thinking about how do we continue to get more operationally efficient? How can we extract more? I call it the machine or the assembly line. How do we get more productivity and throughput through our, our commercial operations organization so that we can drive you know, sales bookings, revenue, gross margin, earnings, all that good stuff uh, that we need as a business? Has the industry changed a lot in the last two to three years in terms of your customers and kind of what their expectations are? Because when you start looking at engaging customers post-COVID or even during COVID, how you said you were much more, you were actually very successful during the time. So what factors, what things did you put in place do you think made the difference? Yeah, I, I think COVID helped everybody in pharma services who was who was working in clinical research benefited from covid tailwinds um what we've been able to do successfully and i think something that we're very proud of is to sus sustain that growth trajectory and diminish the amount of the business that is coming from covid related clinical research so, you know, we got a nice boost and then we were able to, you know, uh, uh, sort of stabilize it a bit and continue to grow um, with non-COVID related business. What it removed was the ability to engage with and interact with customers in a personal setting. And that can be detrimental to a business that is built on personal relationships. Mm -hmm. um, we've been able to augment and supplement that with obviously like what we're doing today with 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 virtual um, you know, and the industry also, in addition to those tailwinds, the industry was given a boost of steroids in terms of the, the, the technological innovation that we've started to embrace. And you look at what has happened and transpired with decentralized clinical trials and, and, you know, there's, it's almost reminiscent of what happened with EHRs 15, 20 years ago, right? With, mm -hmm how crowded that space has become with all of the players. Um, it's, it's interesting to see how it's going to, to unfold and materialize for sure. For us, sticking and staying true to our core competencies has been a challenge, but also has been, I think, one of the reasons we've continued to remain successful year on year and, and also given us the ability to continue that year on year growth trajectory without relying solely on the COVID business. Because the value proposition resonates, it makes sense and it works. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, great. Um, if we were dropping you, if you were dropping into a brand new opportunity, a pure startup, right? I'm thinking about all things you've learned. How do you think that would go? Um, how would it go? <laughs> I mean, assuming you're working with a, you know, a founder, your startup capital, it's um, you know, would you dropping you in? How do you think that would go, given all the experience you have and given what you said in terms of some of the key takeaways? I'm just curious how that would work starting from scratch again. Yeah, I, I would love and and Ray, my CFO, says this all the time. 
Um, cause I, the hardest working guy, right. I, I I'll outwork anybody. Cause I'm, I have to, again, it's survival, right? If you're, if you're not the smartest, the fastest, the strong, you better figure something, you better hustle. Right. <laughs> My parents taught me that early. Absolutely. I would rely on that. And I think it's, it's, um, it, it has worked and it's great that it works. It's, it's a crutch, right? Working, overworking yourself is not, that's not necessarily the key and the answer. Um, so, but if you drop me into a new startup environment, that that's ultimately what I would rely on. I, I would rely on that tenacity and grit and I'd roll up my sleeves and dig in and build it brick by brick, just like we've done here, just like we did at Hippocrates and Medscape. And um, it would be a lot more of the same, but I, but I will say the last four and a half years, because the, the transformation has been so profound. Um, you, our company has grown really aggressively in a very short period of time. I've learned in, in a condensed four years, probably the same that I learned in a 10 year period at Hippocrates, for example. So, so I think there's a lot of learnings I could extract and, and apply to um, a new challenge that maybe I'd be able to work a little smarter and not just harder this time. Are there additional things that you changed because you brought up the things that you would do? What are some of the things that you wouldn't do moving forward based off some of the learnings that you received? So one that comes to mind and uh, it's, it's something that it's a, it's a, I don't want to call it a mistake necessarily. I'll call it a learning. It's a learning that I knew that I had to relearn the hard way. And that was, and this is relevant for, for you guys and what you do every single day, over indexing on a specific hiring profile. And when I got to Jumo Health, the vast majority of our business came from the commercial post FDA approval side of the business. I grew up on that side of the business. I didn't know anything about research and development. Clinical research was not my strength. You fast forward to today and um, I won't give you the exact numbers, but suffice to say the vast majority of the business is now on the clinical research side. So again, we've learned a lot in, in a four and a half year period. Um, I found a profile that I thought worked mm -hmm. and it did for a few hires. And then we over-indexed and made, uh, I, I think, some personnel uh, missteps that that I wish I had back. Um, that That's one good learning that comes to mind. I think it's a great question. If you give me another 24 hours, I'll give you three or four more, I'm sure. But that's the first one that came to mind. And I mean, it's it, difficult to replicate success, isn't it? Sometimes when you, you're you trying to make hires, the, the market's dynamic, you know, the business is dynamic, things are constantly changing. So it's not that easy. So you always have to be rethinking, like you pointed out. Yeah, absolutely. 
and you all know too it's i think hiring is probably one of the most difficult things that a leader has to do if not the most difficult it is it's like being a professional baseball player right i mean if if you if you hit the, if you get a hit three at bats out of 10 i mean you're a superstar i mean it's it's hard to get it right what's extremely difficult is being able just to read motivation and obviously past performance doesn't predict you know their future performance so just being able to read all these soft factors and hard skills and just really blending that together and timing's a huge thing also uh market conditions tighten up and it's harder to get talent at certain uh certain periods of the year so no I, I do agree with you on that yeah it's it's tough it is tough that's a challenge so that that's definitely that's definitely a learning um yeah like i said give me i know i know that we don't get a v2 on this thing but <laughs> i would have a couple more i'm sure i mean we've we've learned a lot in, in a condensed period of time yeah, I, I think uh, we've learned a lot from you, actually, in this in this meeting. It's It's been great to, um, you know, actually spend more time with you, frankly. Um, you know, as a leader, like as a first-time commercial leader, how hard was that? Transitioning from like a, a sales leadership role, which is different, right? You're much more in a, yeah, much more broad responsibilities in this role, similar to like a chief revenue officer, as, as a matter of fact. So how difficult was that to make that transition? It's, and I, and I, I, I don't know, I don't know that it's, it's complete, right? And, and um, the way that you phrase the question makes it sound like it's been a success and it's been, right, it's done. And in the past, it's, it's still a work in progress. Um, so I, you know, I don't think we've nailed it. Uh, but what I will say and this, you you pick up any leadership book 101, it's it's get the right people around you. Mm -hmm. And that has been very valuable. Making sure that the people that I've been able to surround myself with who understand other aspects of the commercial business, not just sales, that can that can bring experience and different skills and bring value to the table has been uh, really a tremendous help and an accelerator as far as my learning curve. And I also think that some of the some of the some of the things that have served me well just in 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 a sales career and a sales leadership career career can also serve you well leading teams that aren't um, aren't necessarily sales because, in a commercial operations organization, and, and we're certainly looking at things from an end-to-end -end perspective, and, and you mentioned kind of revenue operations, and we touch all of that for sure. We all have, at, 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 the, at the core, we have what we call our common purpose. And that, and, and this, maybe we have it easy because the resources we build are for those patients and their families we can kind of always rely on that 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 common purpose is the glue that binds us i don't care which department you're in what you know what what your age is what gender what race religion doesn't matter 
we all have th this, this common purpose that we're trying to help people who are going through a really difficult time. So that, that's one thing. Then within the commercial operations or, or revenue operations, basically they're, they're synonymous for, for our company. We're all, and we, we hold ourselves accountable to, to this as well. I talked about the farther, faster together for the, the com ops. It's, it's about surprising and delighting our customers. So those are some of the things that if, if we're all held accountable to and we're all aligned with that mission the other things kind of are are somewhat the same right sort of the, the tactical executions or elements of of how do you manage personnel and how do you build process and that that kind of stuff is is somewhat similar as long as you understand that there may be different motivators for different people uh, I think you can draw on a lot of those experiences and pull them through. But again, I, it is very much a work in progress. And I I learn stuff every single day. By no means do, do I think I, I have it licked. Was there a point um, thinking about both customers and the people they serve or how your programs serve your audience, right? Was there a particular time where uh, you felt completely gratified? It was a moment you were super proud about um, where you had some kind of real impact on someone's life. Mm. That was kind of an intimate experience that says, hey, this is why I do this. They, so again, we I mentioned that, that common purpose. Maybe we have it a little easier because I could kind of motivate and rally the troops around that. Mm -hmm we get a chance to work with these patients and their families hands-on. And that is, it, it is unbelievably powerful stuff. Um, and that has been unbelievably rewarding. I mean, I'll leave it at that. That has been an unbelievably rewarding piece of this journey with Jumo Health is, is being able to engage with and get to know parents of of children um who are going through clinical trials adults going through clinical studies I, I, patient advocates i mean the, the this these communities have just been unbelievable so that has been tremendous tremendously rewarding there's also the the other side just recently i guess it was a couple of weeks ago now um a young woman on my team um was recognized as as one of the 40 under 40 by mm and m and that was really i was more proud of of her being recognized than i i didn't ever win it so i guess it's easy to say this but um yeah. then if i had won and that was very sitting in the audience hearing her name called watching her get up there and accept that award um it was very cool. It was, was that was Cindy? A proud Papa. Hmm? Was that Cindy? Yeah. 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 It sounds like a it's a really proud moment, right? Because she's been with the company for a long time, and very long it's, time. it's great to see somebody you've mentored develop and get to that point. Yeah, it was. It was. It was very, very rewarding. I have to say. To wrap up, uh, just to wrap yeah. up this whole segment. Um, What's uh what's one piece of advice, whether it be up and coming individual contributors, 
potential sales leaders, potential uh, commercial leaders. What's one piece of advice that if you could just take away one thing, what's one piece of advice that you'd leave them with? The, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, and this is hard for, and I, what I'm thinking, I'm thinking of somebody who is a, a newly minted sort of sales leader or an emerging, emerging commercial leader in sales, you're taught urgency, right? It's all about, you know, urgency, urgency, quarterly numbers, monthly numbers, annual numbers. And, um, a guy I used to work with at greater than one, Jim Mackey, uh, used to say, don't make a difficult decision today that you can put off until tomorrow. And I used to think, what is he nuts? And then I, I practiced that a little bit. And it was this power of the pause was uh, it's actually remarkable. So I guess the advice would be just pump the brakes, give it time. And so, sometimes, and actually more often than not, things have a way of, of sorting themselves out before you need to make that decision um, or take that action. And uh, and when you do take the action or make that decision, you, you have a better insight or a different perspective than you did even a day or two prior. So um, I think that's probably one good piece of advice that... I constantly have to remind myself uh, and has served me pretty well since I've, I, I met Jim uh, four or five years ago, six years ago.